Hey, daters. Are you sick of small talk and no date being planned? Well, I'm excited to introduce you to First Rounds on Me, a revolutionary dating app designed for modern singles who are fed up with the frustrations of today's dating scene. The app is all about actually helping you plan dates and build genuine connections. How so? Well, the only way you match with someone is by planning a date. Send a date, a time, and a location, and then the rest is up to you. Ready to go on real dates? You can get one free month of their premium subscription with code DOCTOR, D-O-C-T-O-R. Download First Rounds on Me using the link in the show notes and start building meaningful connections offline. Hello and welcome to Reimagining Love. I'm Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Relationships have the power to wound us and the power to heal us. As a clinical psychologist, author, and professor at Northwestern University, I've devoted my life to studying intimate partnerships and family dynamics. On Reimagining Love, I'm here to translate complex clinical topics into tools and takeaways that you can use in your relationships today. If you're ready to develop relational self-awareness and create vibrant and loving relationships with the people who matter most to you, you've come to the right place. I'm so glad that you're here. Welcome to another episode of Reimagining Love. We are picking up our two-part series, I Love My Partner, But Their Family Is Toxic. Last week, I focused on validating just how and why the dynamics with in-laws can be so darn treacherous. In this episode, I am going to talk with you about how to handle complex in-law dynamics. I'm going to provide relational self-awareness, questions, and strategies to each member of the couple, the one who was born into the complicated family and the one who is joining the complicated family. I'm also going to talk with you about strategies that a couple can use to navigate this dynamic to keep it from eroding trust and connection in your relationship. If you are already a newsletter subscriber you are going to receive the companion worksheet for this episode delivered right into your inbox. And it's a good one. So you're going to want to make sure you take a peek at this companion worksheet. If you aren't already a subscriber, you can head to www.dralexandrasolomon.com slash in-laws, I-N-L-A-W-S, to access the worksheet that is going to highlight for you the key takeaways from these two episodes and provide you with all of the relational self-awareness prompts for this episode. All right, you know that I like to get us started by getting a little bit nerdy on you. So I want to share with you an interesting research finding that takes us right into exploring how a couple's dynamic gets affected by in-law stress. So there was a 2021 study that was published in a journal called Research in Human Development. And this study focused on the dynamics between couples and their in-laws. And a heads up that there were 355 couples in this research. They were U.S.-based couples. They were heterosexual couples, which is clearly 
a limitation of the research. They were racially diverse in that there were black couples and there were white couples, and they were tracked over 16 years of their marriage. So it's a longitudinal study, and we like to see that. Dr. Catherine Fiore and her fellow researchers examined some common issues in in-law relationships, specifically One, whether or not couples agree on whose family they spend more time with. Two, whose family they call upon for help and advice. And three, assessments of how close they are to each other's families. And these researchers focused on how agreements or disagreements impact marriages. And what they found is that neither husbands nor wives own reports of connections with in-laws, meaning time spent, who gets called on for support, and how much closeness there is. So neither his report nor her report predicted the likelihood of divorce over time. Instead, it was the degree of disagreement about their relationships with each other's families that predicted divorce. Let's say it again. The thing that predicted divorce in this sample of couples was whether or not they disagreed about what was happening in the relationship with the in-laws. So it's consensus, even about the fact that the relationship is problematic, right? So even consensus about this relationship is strained or this relationship is healthy, it's the consensus itself that proves to be important to the success of a marriage. It's the consensus that was the predictive variable, how much agreement there was in each partner's assessment of what was going on in terms of in-law dynamics. As a couples therapist, this makes total sense to me. It's exhausting and it's intimacy eroding to feel like you're stuck in a cycle of trying to show your partner how problematic their parents are. At the very same time, while your partner is trying to show you just how much their parents' hearts are in the right place, right? That push and pull, that sense that I can't get you to see it my way and you can't get me to see it your way. This dynamic, this push and pull is surely going to take a toll on relationship quality. With that in mind, let me do the thing that I often do in these solo episodes. Let me talk for a bit to each partner. Okay. So you are up first, the one who's chosen a partner with some tricky ass parents. So I suspect that your wheels are already turning given the angles that we explored, you know, last week in that episode. But I'm going to pose for you eight (laughs) relational self-awareness questions that might help you get a bit more curious about these complicated in-laws of yours. And I'm going to give you these eight relational self-awareness questions, not necessarily because your in-laws, quote unquote, deserve your curiosity, but because your willingness to be introspective might help you have a new kind of conversation with your partner about this challenge. And these reflection questions might help you and your partner create some new agreements, right? So these questions are for you kind of separate and apart from whatever happens or doesn't happen in terms of changing the dynamic with your in-laws. These are some questions that are designed to challenge you, to invite your self-reflection, and hopefully at least 
ensure that you and your partner are getting on the same page, are moving towards a sense of shared understanding, shared strategy. Okay, so my first question is, how are your respective families different from each other? I want you like literally to make a list of differences between your family and your partner's family, between your parents and your partner's parents. Like literally take a piece of paper, divide it down the middle, list the qualities of your parents, your family system, list the qualities of your partner's family system. So when you're doing this exercise, a little mental exercise, I want you to pretend like you are an ethnographer or an anthropologist or a reporter. This is a descriptive list. And I want you to kind of stick to the facts, stick to a description. Resist the urge for this to become a list of pros and cons or a list of strengths or weaknesses. And then you may need to step away, step away from the list, let it sit for a bit and come back to it with very, very curious eyes, just reflective eyes, asking the question, what does this list highlight to you that you might not have noticed or been able to see before? Question two for you is, to what degree are you turning a difference into a deficit? So can you challenge yourself a little bit? You know, the reason I'm asking you to kind of explicitly do a side-by-side comparison of your parents and your partner's parents is because very often in the face of difference, we end up sticking labels on those differences, better, worse, pro, con. So my second question for you is to what degree do you turn those differences into a better, worse kind of situation? Can you take it a step further and see if you can take that quality that you judge as a deficit in your partner's parents, and can you turn it around? In what way is that quality also an asset? Or at least in what ways has that quality served your partner's parents historically? Right? So I'm really asking you to kind of take a different perspective on these things that you potentially critique or criticize or deem to be worse ways of being. Question three builds on that. Question three is, how have your in-laws' struggles created these dynamics? When there's a troubling dynamic, it's just so darn easy to take things personally, right? Why are they mean to me? Why are they so quiet around me? Why is it so hard for them to ask me about what's going on in my life, right? We take things so personally. So this question, how have your in-laws' struggles in their lives created these dynamics? This question is designed to challenge you a little bit, to explore their pain points and their struggles that likely have been in place long before they ever even met you. And the way that a system opens to newcomers is very often a reflection of intergenerational trauma. Let me say that again. The way in which a system opens to newcomers, you in this example being the newcomer, may reflect intergenerational trauma. That is especially the case if the system, the members of the system here, your in-laws, if they occupy one or more marginalized identities 
where there's a history or a legacy of oppression, need to flee, persecution, risk, deprivation. If that's been part of their lineage, it can really, really impair and constrict the ability to kind of open, welcome a newcomer. It may be that there needs to be more time than you think is normal or healthy or average. They may need more time to get to know you than what you think makes sense. But that length of time it takes for them to get to know you, the amount of time it's taking for you to feel like they trust you, might that possibly reflect some of the intergenerational baggage that they bring in to their relationship with you? Could it be the case that opening up feels risky? Could it be the case that in their lineage, there are actual lived experiences where exposure to new people is dangerous? This is not an excuse, but it's a context. And it's especially an important context if you come from a family system that has not experienced persecution, oppression, a need to flee right? Because you are understandably at risk of judging that kind of behavior as paranoid or unsocial. And it is the case that that which is adaptive at one point in time may very well be no longer adaptive when the context changes, right? You are not a threat. You are, in fact, an asset. You are expanding the system in all kinds of good ways. I'm very confident. But they might just need a bit more repeated experience and exposure to you in order for them to begin to really feel that. And understanding some of the intergenerational context might open up a bit of compassion and patience inside of you. Okay, question four, what is or what was their relationships like with their own parents and their own parents-in-law? So here I'm asking you to do a little bit of sleuthing, a little bit of like looking at the genealogy, the family history. Knowing their history might help you be able to say, I don't like where things stand, but I also can see how far they've come. I can also see that given how they were treated by their own parents or their own parents-in-law, it makes sense that this is not the easiest thing for them to do. They don't have great role models of what it means to be a welcoming, inviting, inclusive in-law. So checking in with, learning a little bit about your in-laws' relationships with their own parents and parents-in-law. Okay, question five. Now I am shining the spotlight onto you. So question five is, can you get really specific about your hurt? Can you name your hurt? Not name the thing that your in-laws do or don't do that drives you bonkers, but can you name the wound, name the pain inside of you. It's quite different to call your partner's parents toxic versus describing and putting some language to what it is that you wish you could get from them that you can't get or that you aren't getting. Like, What do you wish they would see in you? What do you wish they'd value in you? What do you wish they understood about you? Like get really descriptive about what is hurting so badly inside of you. If you want some little sentence stems to start with, right? I wish my in-laws would dot, dot, dot. I wish my in-laws could dot, dot, dot. It makes me feel X when my in-laws do Y 
in situation Z, right? So really getting some clarity and language around what's happening inside of you. Okay. Oh boy. I mean, I hate to even get to number six. All right. Take a deep breath. (laughs) I will too. This is a tough one, but we can handle it. We are not afraid of the hard things. Do you feel like you're at a crossroads in your love life? Maybe you are sick of modern dating or wondering if the person that you're with is your person. Whatever your situation, I have the perfect podcast for you, Dateable. Dateable is your insider's look into modern dating, hosted by Julie Krafchick and Yue Shu. Julie and Yue bring a sense of humor to their insightful explorations of all things dating, turning matches into actual dates, the psychology of relationships, red flags, attachment styles, and so much more. I am proud to have been a guest on their podcast three times. So if you're looking for a great starting point, check out my latest episode with them when you're ready and they are not. I'll put a link at the bottom of the show notes. Wherever you start, this podcast is going to help you feel inspired to date differently and create a love life that works for you. Subscribe to Dateable wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, question number six is this. Is there a chance that you are critical of your partner's family in part because you are jealous of them? Oh my God. Okay. So like, don't throw whatever device you're listening to me on right now. Just breathe. This might absolutely a thousand percent not land for you at all. But you know that on Reimagining Love, we are unafraid of peeking into any of the dank and dark and dusty little corners because we do it only with the utmost compassion and gentleness. Okay. So let's just sit with the question. Is there any chance that you are critical of your partner's family in part because you are jealous of them? You are getting to know an entirely new family, your partner's family. They are not your family. They are not the people who raise you. They're not the people you grew up with. The ways in which they are not your family might feel tender as heck. Perhaps your partner's family has something or does something that your family never, ever did or never, ever could do. And the empowered, grown-up part of you loves that you now have access to these opportunities or these rituals or these experiences. But little you, as I say this, like I put my hand right here on my chest, like little you feels threatened and confused as hell about all of this bounty and all of this access, that there's perhaps a little bit of a tug of war happening inside of you between the empowered part of you and the little young wounded part of you when you are in your in-law's presence, when you are with them, especially if that relationship is giving you access to stuff that was not part of your life, whether it's experiences or travel or financial opportunities or emotional connection or emotional attunement or interesting conversation or consistency or safety or sobriety, like whatever the heck it is, sometimes feelings come out in some gnarly ass ways when we have not put the pieces together quite yet. We know that the feelings 
we are unaware of or the feelings we aren't attending to, the feelings we aren't honoring, those feelings will come out sideways. So is there a possibility that you are kicking up some relational dust in part because this new family awakens old grief? Deep breath, like that's a super gentle, tender one that again may have zero bearing on your life. But if it does, I want you to just really slowly, really gently, really tenderly let that awareness kind of bubble up inside of you, meet it with gentleness, knowing that you aren't doing anything wrong. Your behavior and your attitude is acting out a tender feeling that you have yet to name and work with an honor. Question seven is, what does your in-law's behavior activate inside of you? What does your in-law's behavior remind you of? What does this dynamic between you and these in-laws remind you of? In what ways is an old pain point of yours being triggered? Like just like, you know, if you have an old broken bone, but you like catch it just right, it'll still hurt even though it was broken, whatever, eight years ago. What is it about the dynamic with your in-laws? Like what is it they do, don't do, say, don't say that reminds you of something from your past? This is one of those ghost busting questions that we ask a lot on Reimagining Love right? In what way is your own past being triggered or activated by the relationship with your in-laws in ways that they very likely are not aware of, right? They very likely don't know that they're triggering you in this kind of a way. And making that connection between your personal history and who your in-laws are and how they act, it doesn't diminish the hurt but it does give you an opportunity to extend some compassion to yourself. And it does give you the opportunity to begin to tease apart the past and the present, right? That question or that statement we love of that was then, this is now, right? There's a familiarity here in how I feel with my in-laws, but I'm different now. I have tools I didn't have before. I have resources I didn't have before. I can maneuver in this dynamic differently than I could when I was little and I felt this similar kind of way. The eighth question is, what is it like for you to be noticing and naming something that other people aren't seeing or aren't seeing the same way that you're seeing it? So as the newbie, as the newcomer into your partner's family system, you come in with a different perspective. Stuff lands differently for you. If you make observations about how your partner's family behaves and your partner doesn't see it the way that you see it, it's very easy to feel hurt and invalidated by that. But I want to challenge you a little bit to keep in mind that rather than being obstinate or in denial, It may very well be that your partner doesn't see the situation the way that you see it because this is your partner's original love classroom. These are the people that raised your partner. These are the people that your partner grew up with, right? Your partner is highly accustomed to this situation. It's your partner's default relational setting. So when your partner is confused by your observation or your concern about their parents, it might not be that your partner is trying to invalidate you. It might be 
that this is a new perspective for your partner. You are raising a new concern. But if you have a history of being alone with concerns or being alone with pain, this dynamic between your partner and your in-laws may get you in that tender old spot, right? Of that like, are you kidding me? I'm all alone with this again. I want you to tend to and honor little you, that young part of you, that part of you that once was too little to be alone with something so big. That was then, this is now. You are big and you can resource yourself with people and podcasts and a partner. And I'm going to be talking to your partner in a moment about how I want your partner to be tending to your concerns, even if your partner experiences it differently than you do, right? I don't want you to be alone in your concerns, even as I'm asking you to be a bit more neutral, a bit more descriptive, ensuring that as you raise your concerns with your partner, you're doing it in a way that pulls your partner to you. Whether or not you ultimately do anything differently in relation to your in-laws, I hope that these eight relational self-awareness questions that we just worked our way through, I hope those questions invite your self-reflection and provide you with some insights that at least help you and your partner face the challenge of in-law dynamics like a team. Before I let you go and move on to your partner, final reminders for you. Number one, this family has a history that predates you. When you remember that, you'll feel less confused and triggered by their behavior. Reminder two, relationships evolve over time. See if you can be patient knowing that dynamics unfold. The way that your relationship looks with your in-laws in year one is different than it will be in year five and in year 25. Three, you can stand up for what you need and want in a way that is loving and respectful. Four, try to hold both your frustration about their behavior and your appreciation for the fact that they are the people who raise this person that you have fallen in love with, right? Both those things are true. They frustrate the heck out of you and thank goodness that they exist because they made your partner, right? Or they raised your partner. So that's a both and for you to hold on to. And then five, remember that your partner may have moments in which they feel caught between people that they love very much, their parents and their partner. So you can have compassion for how hard that must be for your partner while still asking for your needs, your preferences, and your concerns to be tended to. All right, P.S., before we move on, the companion worksheet for this episode includes all of those relational self-awareness questions and all of those reminders. So if you're already a newsletter subscriber, don't worry, you're going to receive the worksheet right in your inbox. But if you're not already a subscriber, you can head to www.dralexandrasolomon.com slash in-laws and you can access it. And that link is also in the show notes. Okay, now I'm talking to you, the one who's experiencing the tension between your beloved partner and your parents. I want to start by acknowledging that this is not an easy place to be. You are the fulcrum in this complicated dynamic. You very likely love your parents and very likely feel a sense of duty and history and hopefully a sense of fondness and admiration for your parents. And you love your partner 
And you very likely feel a sense of responsibility towards your partner and a sense of commitment towards the relationship and towards your future. And because you are the fulcrum in this dynamic, you probably can see the problems from all of the perspectives. When your partner complains to you about your parents, you can probably see where your partner is coming from. That tendency of your parents is annoying. Your parents' choice of words can be hurtful. And when your parents express a preference or behave in a certain way, because you've known them your entire life, you can probably see where they are coming from, right? That behavior of theirs may just not bother you as much as it bothers your partner because you've grown up with it. Or it may not strike you as odd or troublesome because they were your original template for relationships. Your commitment may very likely be to grow and evolve with your partner, to nurture this precious intimate relationship you're in, while also accepting that your parents are who they are rather than punishing them for who they cannot be or aren't interested in trying to be. However, that ability to see it from all sides potentially gets you into trouble as well. So I can imagine a scenario where if you raise a concern to your parents, your parents may understandably feel confused. Wait, why are you bringing this up to us now? Did your partner put you up to this? Or If you try to explain your parents' behavior to your partner, your partner may feel unsupported and invalidated. Why are you taking your parents' side? Are you agreeing that what your parents did was okay? So this is for sure a high-wire relational act, no doubt. And by the way, you may be on this high-wire without very much training. If you haven't done a lot of therapy in your life, Sitting with this much emotional and interpersonal complexity is probably dizzying at times for you. If you are rewarded in your job for problem solving, for logical thinking, for coming up with answers and solutions, navigating this kind of complicated emotional triangle is a brand new skill set. And yes, I'm talking to you, accountants and scientists and engineers. (laughs) And if you've been socialized in the masculine, maneuvering these tender relationship dynamics might just simply be a growing edge for you. We don't do a lot of training of our boys and our men in kind of uh, interpersonal relational navigation, right? We don't expect that. We tend to heap all of that work onto girls and women. So the bad news is it's stressful, And you're probably going to screw it up sometimes. And you're probably going to get pushback from your parents and your partner about what you're doing or not doing. But the good news is this is going to grow you up. The skills that you need to navigate this kind of a family dynamic are skills that are also going to benefit you with work, with your friends, with your partner, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm going to pose two relational self-awareness questions to you, and I'm going to then give you some reminders. Heads up that even though you're only getting two questions and your partner got eight questions, (laughs) these questions are heavy hitters. They're really challenging. They're like search your soul relational self-awareness questions. And they may not land at all for you, but if either or both of them do land, promise that you're going to be really gentle with yourself as you sit with them. 
Okay. Relational self-awareness question number one. Is there any potential hidden benefit to you if your partner and your parents are, you know, quote unquote, at war with each other? So it's really brave to check in with yourself about the possibility that there might be some secondary gain for you in this tension. What kind of a secondary gain, like what kind of hidden benefit might there be for you? Perhaps you get to be the hero or the peacekeeper. Perhaps if your partner and your parents are in conflict, maybe you get to kind of feel like you're flying below the radar. You're out of the hot seat. Perhaps this tension means that there's just less obligation to spend time together, which maybe at some level you find that to be a bit of a relief. The second relational self-awareness question is this. Might there be some ways in which your partner is sort of doing your bidding? In other words, is your partner unearthing something that you have seen or felt or been hurt by but have not yet named in your relationship with your parents. So in what ways are they maybe doing a bit of your emotional work on your behalf? And of course there, the next step or the to-do would be for you to just kind of get in the ring also, right? And offer that validation that, yep, this is a concern and I don't want you to do this work on my behalf. I'm in it with you. I'm invested in it. Here are the reminders I'd like to offer to you, and I've got six of them. The first one is lead with empathy. When you're talking to your partner about your partner's concerns with your parents, just lead with empathy. What you're saying makes sense. I can see where you're coming from. That's so understandable. You can offer empathy even if you see it differently. Number two is... Express your love loudly and clearly to all parts of the system, right? I love you, partner. I love you, family. Like express your love. Be really clear and steadfast in the fact that you are devoted to your partner and you're devoted to your family. Number three, don't be afraid to leverage your bond with your parents, right? You can say to your parents, mom and dad or mom and mom or dad and dad, you have always been there for me. And because you love me, I really want and need you to make these changes to improve our overall dynamic, right? You can leverage that history and that legacy that you have with the people who raised you. You can lean into that and say, I know that you love me. You know that I love you. And because of your love for me, I really trust that you can get in the ring and make these changes that my partner and I are requesting. And they're changes that are going to be good for all of us. Number four is you can carry the hope. It might be hard for your partner to carry the hope around any of this getting better or being different. So can you be in charge of carrying the hope? I believe in us, right? And can you cultivate practices that help you feel hopeful even as you navigate tricky stuff? Five, be a relational leader. And that looks like remembering that everybody is on the same team. You're all on team family. You're all on the same team. Your partner, you, your parents, right? You're all on the same team. Family is the team. So be a relational leader and model that and be explicit about that. Six, 
Look for what's going well and validate it. Parents, thank you so much for asking my partner about her promotion. It made her feel really good. Partner, thank you so much for calling my dad on his birthday. I know that it meant so much to him, right? So be explicit and vocal about what efforts you're seeing and validate it. The final thing that I want to do in this episode is offer the two of you as a couple some strategies and some practices. And for those of you keeping score at home, we have seven practices and strategies that I want to review with the two of you to help the two of you stay strong in the face of these challenges. Practice number one, stop comparing the two families. I know it's confusing because I asked you early on to make that side-by-side comparison, but it was in the service of disrupting and transforming the like better, worse comparison. So stop comparing the two families. As Theodore Roosevelt once said, comparison is the thief of joy. Assess the quality of the relationship with each of your families on your family's own merits, right? Look for what is good and bountiful and beautiful in each of your families as they are, rather than mine versus yours. Number two, let yourselves grieve. Grieve separately, grieve together, because the loss of the family dynamic that you can't have is something worth grieving, right? You can feel sad and frustrated about the fact that this isn't the way that you want it to be. When we move grief through us, when we allow ourselves to feel the way that we feel, grieving has a way of opening space up inside of us. So in grieving the family dynamic that you cannot have, you just might open up some space to appreciate or at least accept the dynamic that you can have. Three, Validate each other's perspectives. Spiritual guru, Neil Donald Walsh, who wrote the book Conversations with God, and then a number of books derived from that. Neil Donald Walsh says, perspective creates perception. Perspective creates perception. You and your partner are different in so many ways, including that you, by definition, have a different relationship with each other's parents than your partner does, right? That different relationship literally creates a different perspective on your in-laws as people. And therefore, it creates a different perception of what your in-laws' behavior means and how their behavior feels. You do not need to agree with your partner's perspective in order to validate it, right? Because you and your partner are not going to have the same perspective on who these people are, and you're not going to have the same perception of their behavior. So you don't need to agree with your partner's perspective in order to validate. You can say, in fact, from where you stand, your perspective and your perception make total sense to me, right? I validate that it feels this way to you. Okay, four, look for the positive. This is not about being Pollyanna, And it's not about denying reality, but it is about knowing that we have a negativity bias that is hardwired into our brains. As Dr. Rick Hansen says, our brains are Velcro for the negative and Teflon for the positive. This means that your default setting is to pay far more attention to what's going wrong than to what's going well. Not because of anything that's wrong with you, but just literally because of evolution. So 
when you're meeting up with the challenging in-laws, I want you to actually imagine putting on a pair of glasses that helps you notice moments of sweetness, moments of gentleness, moments of calm, right? Imagine like a pair of glasses that helps you notice when shit could have gone sideways, but didn't. We have to notice and code what's going well because of this default setting we have to pay more attention to what's going poorly. Five, tell your partner about the positive. In their new book called The Love Prescription, doctors John and Julie Gottman, who were on this show a couple of weeks ago, have this beautifully simple line, which goes, if you feel it, say it. If you feel it, say it. Tell your partner about the positive. Compliment your partner for how patient they were with your challenging dad. Thank your partner for deftly redirecting their complicated mom when they could tell she was about to bring up a touchy subject, right? If you feel it, say it. Six, create boundaries. As we say a lot on reimagining love, a boundary is not a punishment. A boundary is the distance at which I can love you safely, well, open-heartedly. A colleague of mine has a fraught relationship with her husband's parents. And when they visit and stay in the couple's home, she feels edgy and she feels defensive. So she and her husband decided to see what would happen if his parents stayed in a hotel instead on their next visit. And she described to me that she like felt her whole body relax. And yes, the couple spent a smaller quantity of time with his parents when they were staying in the hotel, but they spent a higher quality of time because when they were with them, she said she just felt much more open-hearted and much more enthusiastic. So there's a way in which, although it seems paradoxical, a tighter boundary for them led to a closer connection. The seventh strategy is to just keep in mind family therapy. There's an entire type of psychotherapy called family therapy, which is about getting two generations into the room at the same time. And I think that between individual therapy, couples therapy, and family therapy, family therapy is probably the least well understood kind of therapy. In family therapy, the family system becomes the client and the therapist is helping the family members work on addressing and shifting problematic or painful dynamics. Lots of people think that it's a therapy specifically for families with young kids, but I love it when I get to do family therapy with adults and their adult parents. It's a really powerful kind of work. So that's another option available to the two of you. The two of you could invite the challenging in-laws to do some family therapy. If you live in the U.S., you can use the American Association of Marriage and Family Therapy directory, for example, to find a provider, or you can look for a therapist who has LMFT after their name, that's Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist, or you can just specifically ask a prospective therapist if they have been trained to do family therapy, right? So on my name, you would see I'm a clinical psychologist, so you wouldn't necessarily know that I've also been trained to do family therapy. If you see LMFT, you know they've been trained to do family therapy, but you can always, always ask 
potential therapist, hey, have you been trained to do family therapy? We're thinking about doing some work with my partner and my parents. There you go. We covered a lot of ground. I hope that you feel validated in your experiences and I hope that you feel resourced in terms of some strategies and some tools. And as always, you know, my team and I are here for your feedback. We love your feedback. So let us know how this landed and how you might want me to return to this topic in a future episode. And final reminder, if you're already a newsletter subscriber, you're going to get the worksheet in your inbox. And if you aren't a subscriber, you can head to www.dralexandrosolomon.com slash in-laws and get the worksheet, which is going to highlight the key takeaways and the prompts for this episode. All right. Thank you for joining me here on Reimagining Love. And until next time, be well. Do you have a relationship question that you want to have answered on the show? Follow the link in the show notes of this episode to send in a written or audio question. Questions can be about intimate partnerships, family relationships, friendships, you name it. I can't wait to hear from you.